This is VLX number 116, The Unforgiving Servant. We are in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 25. VLX stands for Video Lexio Divina, the only patristic Bible study and Ignatian prayer series online. God give you his peace, in nomine patris et fidi, et spiritu sancti, amen. God our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine patris et fidi, et spiritu sancti, amen. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Now, I know a lot of you, if you have come from Protestant churches, probably you're very annoyed by sermons or homilies that just try to sound modern and relevant. But I do want to frame these numbers that was forgiven in modern terms. And what you're going to hear from Father Lapide, again, a 16th century, old school, intense Jesuit, is he actually does line up the math of what was forgiven in gold terms, or rather gold coins, I'm going to put that in dollars. Again, it's not to be modern or relevant. I'm just trying to follow Father Lapide's lead to make the readers understand really how much was forgiven. So imagine three people. Uh, Joshua, which obviously in the Old Testament is very similar to the name Jesus. Joshua is at the, uh, the top of the pecking order on this business that ended up forgiving people. And then we'll say below him is Seth, and then below him is James. So imagine three people here. And if you look at the numbers that we see from Father Lapide, Joshua forgave Seth $120 million. I'm going to prove this a little bit later. Joshua forgives Seth $120 million, and then Seth has an underling in the business who owes him $10, and he won't forgive that. So again, Joshua let's say he's the CEO of the company, he forgives a middle management guy $120 million. And then he, gets, then he catches this middle management guy named Seth not forgiving one of his workers in this same company 
$10. That's the numbers we're gonna see in a minute, 120 million versus $10. Just a few short notes before we keep going. Last VLX, which is VLX 115, we talked about the human level of some of the issues of forgiveness, especially boundaries. So you might want to go listen to that before you continue with VLX 116 if you haven't already heard that one. Also, today is going to be a little bit heavy on Father Lappy Day, so I'm going to be reading the Douay Rhymes Bible because that's what he uses, or rather the people who translated him at Loretto Press uses Douay Rhymes Bible. And here's a little quote to keep on the back burner as you listen to today's podcast. It comes from Divine Intimacy, page 707. The measure of our mercy towards our neighbor will be the measure of God's mercy towards us. For Jesus has said, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. When we listen to Father Lapide, we're going to kind of hear a little bit of a, a juridical, under, juridical understanding of forgiveness, but we also have to remember as we listen to all of this that um, the unforgiving heart, it's not just God's justice that prevents forgiveness from entering that heart, but it's that heart itself. So if you want to receive God's forgiveness, your heart's not even going to be wired the right way unless you're forgiving people. So now let's start with verse 21. Then Peter came unto him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother offend against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Father Lapide says, Peter was led to ask this question as a result of hearing Christ say, but if thy brother shall offend against thee, go and rebuke him. Notice that this refers to the last VLX. The meaning is forgive as often as the sinner says, I repent. Peter then, hearing the expression seven times, did not clearly understand whether seven times was to be taken literally. Therefore, he asked Christ to explain the phrase seven times. Father Lapide says, this was as if to say, do you mean, Lord, that if someone sins seven times a day and repents seven times, that I should forgive seven times? Verse 22, then Jesus saith to him, I say not to thee till seven times, but till 70 times 7 times. Now keep in mind again the boundaries we talked about in VLX 115. Remember how I said that forgiveness is a one-way street, reconciliation is a two-way street. Someone uh, pointed out in an email to me when we were talking about narcissists in the last one, I did say that a lot of times in forgiveness you have to say apology accepted, access denied. Someone wrote me an email saying, yeah, but you're rarely going to hear an apology from a narcissist. And that person was exactly right. You're really rarely going to hear an apology from a narcissist. But even if you have to cut them out of your life, you can still forgive them. And so Father Lapide interprets verse 22 as saying, as if Christ were saying, that is innumerable times you shall forgive your sinful brother's trespasses if he repent. Father Lapide continues, by seven times, I mean 70 times, that is, always without number. Now listen to what St. Augustine says. He says, I dare to say that if he shall sin against thee 70 times eight, thou shalt forgive him, or a hundred times eight, however many times he shall sin, forgive. For if Christ found a thousand sins and forgave all, withdraw not thou thy mercy. For the apostle says, forgiving one another, if any man hath a quarrel against any, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Now, think about that number, 77 times 7. Now, there's something really interesting in this number 77. St. Augustine teaches that 11 is the number of sin. Why is 11 the number of sin? Father Labide says this 
number transgresses by a unit to the number 10 in the Decalogue or 10 Commandments. So if you miss the 10 Commandments, you're at 11. This isn't Father Lapide making this up. This is ancient Jewish stuff that St. Augustine's drawing on. But seven is the symbol of totality because in the first seven days of the world, God created and adorned the whole universe. So seven is the number of covenant, completion, totality. So Father Lapide then says, therefore, 77 signifies that all kinds of sin of every kind must be forgiven. This number then is the symbol of the plenary and perfect remission of all sins whenever a sinner repents. Bet you didn't know that. 11 times 7 comes to 77. And there's a Jewish importance on that. 11 is the number of sin. 7 is the number of perfection and forgiveness. So what we're talking about is multiplying an earth full of sin times the perfection of God's forgiveness. That's why we have this number 77 there. Now, St. Augustine has this line, which is a little bit challenging to modern ears. He says, He sins once, I forgive. He sins a second and third time, I forgive. He sins a fourth time, he must be chastised. Let us correct by words and, if need be, by rods. But let us forgive the offense. Let us put away the fault from our memory so that even though some discipline be imposed for love's sake, leniency may not depart out of our heart. <laughs> so what St. Augustine said right there is, yeah, forgive the person the first time, forgive him the second time, forgive him the third time, but the fourth time, you might need to hit him with some rods, but you still forgive him anyway. Now, of course, when we hear that nowadays, we say, well, that's not really forgiven. If you're going to beat someone with rods, you didn't really forgive him. But remember, Augustine was in the unitive stage of prayer. I'm not proposing you do this because this is one of those things where we do have to say times are different. But I think we can take this with words. Um, or I guess if you spank your kids, that's you can take that literally right there. But I think what he's saying that is really applicable to how adult treats adult nowadays is, yeah, you forgive the first time, you forgive the second time, the third time you forgive, and then the fourth time, says uh, St. Augustine here, the person needs to be chastised by words. So again, we have boundaries around forgiveness. We're not promoting being a Christian doormat. Let me say that again. We're not promoting being a Christian doormat, but we are going to see... Jesus has forgiven us a lot more sins, and he expects us to do that for our neighbor. When you realize if you've committed one mortal sin in your life, we're going to hear how Father Lapide really lines this up numerically almost. If you've been forgiven one mortal sin in your life, there really can't be any limit to what you forgive your neighbor. And then Origen, he was one of those church fathers who always had kind of a weird take on things, never got canonized for some of his, uh, some of his takes and some of his actions, but... He's still worth noting here, and Father Lapide points out that Origen took the words literally. So he actually held it to be 490. You forgive 490 times and not any more than that. But there's another interesting number in there to look at. Father Lapide says, Thus there will be an allusion to the 70 weeks of Daniel, for these make 490 years, which elapsed from the decree for building Jerusalem unto Christ, by whom there is the full remission of sins. And then we look at verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a king who would take an account of his servants. Father Lapide says this means it is done likewise in heaven as though a king were to enter into an accounting with his servants and debtors. I'm going to read that again so that you understand that we are really dealing with preparing for heaven here. This isn't just ethics of getting along with people through forgiveness. Jesus is giving us this parable so we are ready to have the Trinity coursing through us. Our hearts have to be wired 
in some sense to the same forgiveness he's shown us if we're going to fit in, so to speak, if we're going to fit into heaven. Again, Father Labide says, It is done likewise in heaven, as though a king were to enter into an accounting with his servants and debtors. And then verse 24, And when he had begun to take the account, one was brought to him that owed him 10,000 talents. Now, again, Father Lapide, I'm not going to read all this because it would get a little bit boring because he gets into French crowns and Hebrew talents and everything, but at the end, he ultimately comes to the conclusion one person forgave 120 million units, and that person refrained from forgiving the next person 10 units. So he really does prove the ratio here is 120 million to 10. Not 10,000, not 10 million, just 10. And the numbers I, or the names I gave you was uh, Joshua forgave Seth 120 million, but Seth would not forgive James $10. So Father Lapide on this front says, Consider then that God requires of a sinner who has committed only one mortal sin more than if a master should require of a poor slave or a pauper more than 120 million crowns. For a single mortal sin, inasmuch as it is committed against God, and as far as it lies, robs God of his deity. Let me pause real quick there. Have you ever thought of a mortal sin as robbing God of his deity? I'd never thought of it as that. Very strong words. So Father Lapide again says, For a single mortal sin, inasmuch as it is committed against God, and as far as in it lies, robs God of his deity, is a far greater injury to God than all injuries done to all kings could be. It is a far greater debt than all the debts of all mankind, which are owed by them to all other men. For as God is far above all men, yes, though they seem infinite in number, so does an injury against God surpass all the injuries done to men and contract an infinite guilt and debt of punishment. Therefore, this vast amount of debt pertains rather to the thing signified, that is to say, mortal sin, than to the actual parable of the servant. For what servant could contract a debt of 120 million unless he stole or burnt up the king's treasury or destroyed or betrayed a whole realm? Moreover, if one mortal sin be a debt of 120 million, how many millions will his debt consist who has committed a hundred, a thousand, yea, many thousand mortal sins? Now this suits the words 70 times 7. As though it said, if God forgives you so vast a multitude of sins, far more in comparison than 10,000 talents, much more ought we to forgive all the trespasses of our neighbors against us, which are smaller and of far less consequence, especially since God forgives us our many great faults on the condition that we forgive our neighbors their few and small faults. Just as God is the highest good, so also sin, which is opposed to divine goodness, is the worst evil. Hence, just as God is infinite good, so too sin is an immense sort of evil. For the magnitude of the offense increases with the magnitude of the person offended. The more noble the person offended, the graver the injury. Therefore, if a person has infinite dignity, the sin will also have a sort of infinite malice. It follows that no mere creature can make any equivalent satisfaction for mortal sin. Indeed, not all the works of the saints can make com compensation for even one sin. Therefore, in order to make an equivalent satisfaction for sin, it was necessary that the Son of God should become incarnate and should suffer as the fathers teach. And verse 25, And as he had not wherewith to pay it, his Lord commanded that he should be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, 
and payment to be made. Now, Father Lapide points out something historical here that's really important. He says, It was the law among various nations that if a debtor could not pay, his creditor might sell him with his wife and children and be repaid with the price for which they were sold. So slavery or servanthood was one way to pay this off. And if you had to pay with your family, this isn't Father Lapide, but what it did remind me of is, think of God the Father giving God the Son. He did give his family member for us to be paid this debt or, or ransom with that debt. Verse 26, But that servant falling down besought him, so also the Greek has, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee everything. The Syriac translates this as, be forgiving in my regard, and I will restore all things to thee. Father Lapide says, But this was impossible. For how could a poor servant, driven to penury, repay 120 million gold pieces? But he would gain time that through the delay he might employ the prayers of his friends to bend the mind of the king. That's kind of funny. The whole point of patience wasn't because you could pay him back. It was like, maybe if we cool him down... Uh, he'll change his mind. Again, Father Lapide, to bend the mind of the king, whom he knew to be liberal, by liberal he means generous, and large-hearted to forgive him the debt. And in this he was not mistaken. Hence it follows, then we have verse 27, and the lord of that servant, being moved with pity, let him go and forgave him the debt. So notice, justice did not oblige him to forgive these 120 million Dollars, gold pieces, crowns, talents, whatever you want to call it. Even people listening in other parts of the world can still think of the dollar as a common unit of currency. And again, verse 27, And the Lord of that servant, being moved with pity, let him go and forgave him. Father Lapide says, The things are spoken parabolically to show how pleasing to God are humility, a humble confession of sin and prayer for pardon. For the servant obtained it immediately by humbling himself. Again, it signifies how great, how immense is God's mercy and clemency, which immediately forgave this vast debt of sins to the servant who asked for it. One of the things to remember right here is that the early church fathers held perfect contrition to be a lot higher than just misusing confession. Let me say it again. Perfect contrition is a lot better than misusing confession. Better to have both. It's really best to have perfect contrition and confession. But notice the great importance of humility. The first person forgave the $120 million, knowing in the future this person would not forgive the $10. Verse 28, But when that servant was gone out, he found one of his fellow servants that owed him a hundred pence. And laying hold of him, he throttled him, saying, Pay what thou owest. Okay, last time I'll use these three names. So Joshua forgave Seth $120 million. And Seth, his middle management guy, couldn't forgive his employee in this same company named James $10. Let's divert briefly into the imaginative way of prayer. Here's what I'm going to have you meditate on today. Think of the worst mortal sin that you had forgiven in baptism or confession. Think of the worst mortal sin you had forgiven in baptism or confession. And then after that, think of a transgression against you that you still haven't forgiven. Now you are to see it in this framework of the $120 million and the $10, $120 million forgiven of you, $10 you haven't forgiven. Why do we know it's really that big of an expanse? Because if you've been forgiven one mortal sin, the offense against God is that much greater than any way any human on earth could offend you. Even if you had a family member killed by somebody, because we don't have infinite dignity, we still have not forgiven 
what has been forgiven us. So again, in, in, the, in the imaginative way of prayer, think of the greatest sin you've been forgiven in baptism or confession, and then a transgression that another person did against you that you haven't forgiven. Again, I'm not saying you have to be that person's best friend. I'm not saying you have to be in a relationship with that person. I'm not saying you should try to live as a Christian doormat, but you still have to forgive them. And then we have verse 29, And his fellow servant falling down besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Notice that we had the two terms besought and patience, both the middle management guy asking the boss and the little guy asking the middle management guy. They both besought him. They both begged for patience. And Father Lapide says he humbles himself before his fellow servant and asks him to forgive him the hundred pence in the self-same words with which that fellow servant had asked and obtained from his master the remission of 120 million crowns. Verse 30, and he would not. In other words, he would not forgive, but went and cast him into prison till he paid the debt. Father Lafide says, Avariciously and unyieldingly does the servant stand upon his rights. Notice that word rights. We Americans are obsessed with rights. He stands on his rights, and thus using them he abused them, being unmindful of the mercy and clemency with which the master had shown to himself. I don't think I have to point out, most of you are catching this, that the master is, of course, God. Verse 31, Now his fellow servants, seeing what was done, were very much grieved, and they came and told their Lord all that was done. So they were all aware this guy at middle management was forgiven $120 million, and then he couldn't even forgive 10 bucks, and they, all, they go and tattletale on him. But Father Lapide says, For the saints and the blessed do not carry reports to God or accuse the cruelty or sins of men, but rather cover and excuse them and pray for them. Verse 22 to 23, Then his Lord called him and said to him, Thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all the debt, because thou besoughtest me. Shouldst now thou then have had compassion also on thy fellow servant, even as I had compassion on thee? And the Aramaic is, According to my mercy towards thee. Verse 34, And his Lord, being angry, delivered him to the tortures until he paid all the debt. Now, one of the questions you might ask here is, does this mean purgatory or hell? That word until always had me think this was about purgatory, but Father Lapide has an interesting interpretation. He says, Moreover, the torturers are the demons, says Remigius, who torment souls of sinners in hell in a thousand ways until he paid, that is, he must be tormented forever. For he could never pay off that debt of 120 million, so says St. John Chrysostom. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, he does have to pay it until it's paid back. But you can't pay back an offense to God without the blood of Jesus. Therefore, that until equals an eternity in hell. Pretty scary stuff here. This is St. John Chrysostom, not me. And Father Lapide gives the reason for this. He says, Because so long as a man will not forgive his neighbor for a trespass against himself, so long God will not forgive him his own faults. Notice this isn't just God being like vengeful or something. Keep in mind that the unforgiving heart isn't even going to be wired the right way for heaven. This is why gratitude for the sins that we've been forgiven should lead to forgiveness of others. Gratitude sounds like a kind of a corny virtue on such a traditional Latin mass podcast or you know old school doctrine, but listen to what Father Lapide says about gratitude. The connection between gratitude for our sins being forgiven and how this leads into forgiveness of others. He says, Although this ingratitude, he's talking about the person who was forgiven but would not forgive. Although this ingratitude is perhaps not a mortal sin per se, 
yet it is often a cause of mortal sin. For God, on account of this ingratitude, withdraws the more plentiful supply of his grace from the sinner and permits him to be more severely tempted by the flesh and the devil. Hence it comes to pass that he falls into more dreadful mortal sins, through which that former multitude of faults and penalties returns, which is signified by that 10,000 talents. Now that's pretty amazing. Father Lapide is saying, God allows demons to attack with sins against the sixth and ninth command. Not that God would ever want this, but he allows demons tempting us towards sins of the flesh to attack Christians who are not grateful. Isn't that amazing? So it kind of starts to make sense why St. Therese held that gratitude is actually this virtue that leads to all these other virtues. Um, did you ever think of that? Gratitude is the best way to avoid mortal sin? But that's pretty close to what Father Lapide is saying right here. And he also points out James chapter 2, verse 13, for judgment without mercy to him that hath not done mercy. Finally, verse 35, so also shall my heavenly Father do to you if you forgive not everyone from your hearts. From your hearts. This has to actually include the affections, not just the will. From your hearts, Father Lapide says, this means from the very bottom of your heart. For there are many who forgive with their lips, but not with their hearts. Christ therefore bids that the gall of rancor be cast out from the depths of the heart and the honey of love substituted in its place. This parable, therefore, teaches how gravely displeasing to God is it to harbor in our minds anger, rancor, and revenge against a neighbor who has offended us. And on the other hand, how pleasing it is to God to lay them aside and convert them into love, even as God receives the penitent sinner to his grace and the bowels of his love and buries in oblivion all his past offenses, even as though he had never been committed. Moreover, this is to be done not once, but seventy times seven, that is, always, and as often as our neighbor repents of the offense. To demonstrate this, Christ spoke the parable of the ten thousand talents, that is, of a very vast debt. Let us, therefore, very beautiful ending from Father Lapide, and we'll end on this too. Let us, therefore, who are but men and very weak men, imitate God, who every day forgives us our daily offenses against him, be they very many and very grievous, as often as we repent, and does let us do the same from the heart. And therefore he bids us pray daily, forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. Please say an hour, Father, for me, that I may practice what I preach at benedictio Dei omnipotentis, Patris, Sifidi, et Spiritus Santi, descendet super vos et maniet semper. Amen.